Bible Biogs in 30 minutes. Through the Bible, one character at a time. Author, pastor and Bible teacher Mike Beaumont is in conversation with David Taverner. In this episode, we're going to be talking about Martha and Mary, but I suspect, Mike, we can't mention Martha and Mary, who were sisters, without mentioning their brother. Yeah, one of the uh, well-known figures in the New Testament, Lazarus. So we've got Lazarus, Martha, Mary, brothers and sisters, whose stories are going to interact. Indeed. And Lazarus is actually better known for his death rather than his life. Yes, it's weird, isn't it? You know, of all the things you'd want to be remembered for. If I were to say, David, what would you like to be remembered for in your life? You know, how I died or how I came back from death uh, probably wouldn't be quite at the top. But yeah, Lazarus is best remembered for that. And and Martha and Mary come into that story and we read about that in in John chapter 11. Okay, well, just tell us the story then. What what actually happened? Well, what happened was... uh, John 11 opens by telling us that uh, a man named Lazarus, and and Lazarus, by the way, and Martha and Mary were really close friends to Jesus, we discover in the Gospels. They live in a little village called Bethany, which is on the, the far side of the Mount of Olives. So it's just over the hill from Jerusalem, but it's really a tiny hamlet, tiny village uh, at this time. But it's a place where Jesus seemed to often go to get away from the crowds, and they were really good friends. So in John 11, read that this man named Lazarus was sick. So what do the sisters do? Well, Mary and Martha send a message to Jesus, says, Lord, your friend's very sick. But here's a really weird thing in the story. We read, when Jesus heard about it, he said, Lazarus' sickness will not end in death. So he's seeing there's something deeper happening here. No, it happened for the glory of God, so the Son of God will receive glory from this. So although Jesus loved Martha, Mary, and Lazarus, he stayed where he was for the next two days. So he hears one of his best friends is sick, says, oh yeah, this is all for the glory of God, and deliberately stays where he he is, and then finally says, okay, let's go back to Judea. So we've probably got a day for the messengers to travel to Jesus. Jesus deliberately waits two days, a day to travel back. And so we're now on the fourth day, which actually comes out in the story. What springs to mind is is something that probably we can all relate to, which is that we're perhaps praying for a situation, praying for healing for somebody, and we, we want an immediate answer. Yes. Uh, I used to have a youth leader many years ago who said, if I could buy God anything, I would buy him a watch. Because he never seems to work to our timetable, does he? It's never as quick as we would want. We want it now. And I think what the story of Lazarus shows us is that You know, God God hears our prayers, but there are good reasons at times why he doesn't answer instantly or why he doesn't answer in the way that we would want. And this is an example whereby, sure, he could have come instantly, could have prayed for the guy, would have got healed, and we thought, wonderful, a healing miracle. But look what would have been missed. 
an example of the power of Jesus now raising someone from the dead. All the story about Mary and Martha that we'll see in a moment and how they express their faith. So there are so many things that come out of the story by Jesus delaying. And clearly he knew that because he he talks about, you know, this has happened for the glory of God. He knows in his heart, his father has shown him that there's some bigger purpose than just a man being healed. So, you know, if I'm honest, I I rarely like God's waiting times. But I've lived long enough now to know that when there are waiting times, they're not wasted times. And that God is doing something. God is hearing our prayer and we just need to hang on in there and wait. And sure enough, like they did, we'll see something good come out of it. So the sisters, Martha and Mary, are desperate for Jesus to turn up. They have this close relationship with him and he takes a lot longer than they wanted him to. So they must be at their wit's end. Yes, they must. And the minute that they hear that Jesus is coming at last, though, of course, it's too late. We read in John 11, verse 20, that when Martha got word that Jesus was coming, she went out to meet him. Now, it's interesting. that Martha always seems to be the activist, doesn't she? We're going going to see uh, another story in a moment, I'm sure, uh, that contrasts Mm -hmm. the, the two sisters. And she goes to Jesus and said, Lord, if only you had been here, my brother would not have died. And it's like, there's a, well, there's a hint of a little rebuke there, mm. isn't there? You know, if only you'd got on with it, Jesus, he would be here. But listen to the next sentence. And this is something we often miss about Martha, who's often dismissed as, oh, she was just the practical one. Mary was really the spiritual one. Lord, if only you'd been here, my brother would not have died. But even now, I know that God will give you whatever you ask. Wow. Mm. Now, if that's not faith, I don't know what is. Because the first part sounds a little bit like blame. Absolutely. But the second sounds like having got that off her chest, she says, and yet, Lord, I know you can do it. And Jesus says, your brother will rise again. And she says, yeah, I know he'll rise when everyone else rises at the last day. So she does believe this, but it's in the future. And it's It's at that moment that Jesus says one of these well-known verses from the New Testament, I am the resurrection and the life. He who believes in me will live even after dying, and everyone who lives and believes in me will never die. Do you believe this, Mary? And she says, yes, Lord. I've always believed you are the Messiah, the Son of God, the one who has come into the world from God. And then she goes back to Mary and says, the teacher is here and wants to see you. And she goes out and Jesus is outside the village, the place where Martha had met him and the the two come together and they go to Lazarus's grave. Now, before we rush on, what incredible faith from Martha, this woman whom we so often dismiss as the practical one. I was going to say, how do we move from the blame game, blaming God for our troubles and getting to that point where actually we've stepped back and seen things in perspective? I think it's a mixture of honesty and trust. You know, God, as we've seen in previous episodes, is big enough to cope with what we bring to him. He is neither offended 
nor hurt, nor anything else. You know, he's, he's a big God. He can take whatever we bring. And I think to come with how we honestly feel and to tell him what we think, but to always add a yet, Lord. That's, that's what Job did. Job wasn't a happy bunny after all he'd gone through. And yet he refused to curse God. You know, he had all these questions and people couldn't answer his questions. And that there, there was a, a yet, Lord, and he hung on there. So I think, like Martha, be honest. Bring your questions to God. He won't get angry. He's not offended. Tell him what you think. And yet, having got it all off your chest, I think to be at a place where you say, okay, Lord, I've given you that. Now, over to you. So we don't have to pretend. I think, you know, if we pretend that we're not hurt or disappointed when our prayers aren't answered, it just produces a false, shallow faith. Be honest with God, but then be trusting of God and wait and see what happens. So what happened next? Well, they go together to meet Jesus, who's on the outside of the village. And it's interesting, Mary, Mary, whom we always think traditionally as the really spiritual one. But listen what Mary now says, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. (laughs) So she's now getting it off her chest as well. She is not that spiritual that she doesn't need to dump this on Jesus. And remember, this is not a story. This is out of the pain of loss of a loved one. And then Jesus says, okay, where is he? So they go to the grave together and people start muttering in the crowd, "Mm, you know, see how much Jesus loved him. But, you know, this man healed a blind man. Couldn't he have kept Lazarus from dying? Mutter, mutter, mutter in the background. And Jesus is pretty angry with all of that. So they get to the cave where he's been buried. Now, remember, in Bible times in Israel, they didn't bury people in the ground like in the West. Bodies were put into a dry place, normally somewhere like a cave. The body left for a year and allowed to decompose. And at the end of that year or so, in that very dry atmosphere where that would happen, the bones then gathered, put into a box, an ossuary, and the ossuary then placed it might be in the ground, but more often than not in some family cave in, in niches in the rock. So they've put Lazarus into this cave, rolled the stone across the door. And Jesus says, roll the stone aside. And it's Martha who says, well, Lord, he's been dead for four days. The smell will be terrible. Mm. So in other words, there's no doubt in their mind that Lazarus is now dead. Mm. Uh, and Jesus Then says, didn't I tell you, you know, if you trusted me, you would see God's glory. And he prays and he says, Father, thank you for hearing me. You always hear me. But I've said it out loud for the sake of these people standing here. So they'll believe you've sent me. Then Jesus said, and I've often wondered what was the tone in which he said these next words. Lazarus, come out. You know, was it a Lazarus? Come out! Or was it a gentle Lazarus? Come out. And the text says, and the dead man came out. (laughs) His hands and feet bound in the grave clothes, his face wrapped in a headcloth, and Jesus told them, unwrap him 
and let him go. I always think it's interesting he has to say that to them, unwrap him and let him go. Why? Because I think they were completely shocked <laughs> and stunned and dumbfounded and and just was staring and just, you know, unwrap the poor chap. Yes. You know, take him home and give him some dinner. He's not had anything for four days. And <laughs> this incredible miracle that Jesus did. And the consequence of that is is quite interesting and polarizing. It's interesting that still today the message of Jesus can be quite polarizing. So as we read on in John 11, we read that many of the people who were there with Mary believed in Jesus when they saw this happen. Which is a reasonable reaction. Well, it, you know, I mean, how big a miracle do you need before you're going to believe in mm. this guy? Mm. But some went to the Pharisees and told them what Jesus had done. And then the Pharisees called together a meeting of the, the Sanhedrin, the high council, uh, and they start to say, well, this is ridiculous. You know, well, well, this man's performing many miracles. If we allow him to go on like this soon, everyone will believe in him. And then the Romans will come and they'll take away our place. They'll take away our temple. And it's at that point Caiaphas, the high priest, uh, prophesies, and he didn't even realize he was prophesying. You don't know what you're talking about. Don't you realize it's better for you that one man should die for the people than for the whole nation to be destroyed? And John comments there that he was prophesying without realizing it. What he meant was, we need to get rid of Jesus. Mm. But of course, it would be better if Jesus died mm. because it would be a death for the whole nation. And then it says, from that time on, the Jewish leaders began to plot Jesus's death. So this incredibly polarizing miracle out of this family story. Some people believe, and for others it just hardens. And I often think that, you know, people have said to me over the years, you know, well, it, it, give me a miracle and I believe. And I often want to say to them, well, what sort of a miracle? and How big a miracle would it have to be? And, you know, how many more miracles would you need after that? How, how many is enough? Because if you've set your heart not to believe, I could give you 100 miracles, and you'd have an explanation for each one of them. A point comes where you have to say, I have got enough evidence here that I have to bow my knee to Jesus and acknowledge him as Lord, which some did that day, but others, it just hardened them. I was going to say, you've known people, have you, who have even witnessed a miracle like Mary and Martha did, but actually chose not to believe. Yes, absolutely. And of course, so did Jesus. Uh, the one that springs to mind is where he heals 10 lepers. Uh, and when they get healed, only one of them comes back to say thank you. And for the others, well, it was just one of those things, wasn't it? You know, leprosy sometimes disappears. You can imagine them rationalizing it away. And I think particularly in our Western world, it's very easy to rationalize things away. And yes, I have prayed for people and seen miracles happen and it's not, never been enough because at the end of the day, it's about what's in our hearts. It's about our will. It's about a decision to bow our knee and acknowledge there is someone bigger than me, God. And sometimes all the miracles in the world aren't enough for people. But the point has to come where we make the choice that some in that village did and said, Jesus, this is incredible. 
I've seen enough to believe. Did what Jesus said to Martha then come to fruition, his reason for this raising of Lazarus? That the glory of God would be seen? Hmm. Well, yes, I think it did. But, you know, the glory of God is received by people in different ways. So the glory of God was seen. Jesus proved here he truly was the resurrection and the life. Of course, he would prove it through his own resurrection more than anything else, through his own death and resurrection. But the glory of God was most definitely revealed. They thought that this was just one of those things in life. Our brother, sadly, has died. And Jesus is saying, no, there's a bigger story. You know, when stuff happens to us in life, we can either just live with it as, oh, yet more stuff or think, but God, what are you doing through this? What is behind this? And the glory of God was revealed because it demonstrated that Jesus has authority not just over sin and sickness and disease, which he'd been showing, but authority even over death itself, which he confirmed through his own resurrection. So the glory of God was seen. But even when the glory of God's been seen, in itself, that's not enough. People still have to respond to it. So either many believe, like in that story, or many harden their hearts and say, how can we get rid of this man? I'm just to imagine the scene. Lazarus, he'd been dead for four days. He's alive again, back with his sisters. Life doesn't just carry on as normal, does it? Yeah, it'd be interesting, wouldn't it? But I suppose, you know, things like that last for a little while, don't they? And then we, well, we do have to get back to normal life because there's still the dishes need washing and the jobs need doing and the farm needs looking after or whatever it was that they they did. So they would have had to get back to normal life. But I'm sure, I mean, you have a miracle like this, you can never forget it. It must have been deeply, deeply embedded in their psyche. Um, and life could never have been the same. So while it had to go back to normal, I'm sure in terms of who they were and how they lived from this point on. Everything changed. Absolutely everything must have changed. So in the Gospel of John, where do we then meet Martha and Mary again? Well, we meet them actually in just the next chapter, um, which tells us, so we're in John chapter 12 here, that six days before the Passover celebration began, Jesus arrived in Bethany, the home of Lazarus, the man he'd raised from the dead, just in case you've forgotten from the previous chapter. So again, showing us what a close friendship there was between these three, between Martha, Mary, and Lazarus. Uh, by the way, just in passing, we, we think Martha is possibly um, the elder sister of the two, although it's here the home of Lazarus because he's the bloke and they used to take prominence in that culture, didn't they? And a dinner was being prepared in Jesus's honor. Martha served. There's Martha serving again. Maybe in a moment we'll just go back to that story in, in Luke where uh, they were serving. Uh, Martha served and Lazarus was among those who ate with him. And listen to this. Mary took a 12-ounce jar of expensive perfume made from the essence of nard 
and she anointed Jesus's feet with it, wiping his feet with her hair. And the house was filled with the fragrance. Now that little sentence, the house was filled with the fragrance, is the sort of eyewitness note that authenticates John was there for this. You know, you wouldn't put that unless you were there. Oh, we smelled it. Just that that whole 12 ounce, that pint of nard um, that she poured. And it's a little unusual because, yes, people were anointed uh, as a mark of honour and respect, but normally it would be done on the head. But Mary does it on his feet. It's almost an expression of humility. Lord, I'm not worthy of pouring this upon your head. Wiping his hair with her feet. Well, you know, that really was quite unseemly. I mean, ladies in those days kept their hair tied up. Respectable ladies kept their hair tied up and really only let their hair down in the privacy of the bedroom. And yet again, here is an expression of her devotion, her abandonment to Jesus, her love for him. But again, it causes reaction. It's interesting, isn't it, how people's affection for Jesus can produce different reactions. Some can think, isn't that beautiful? And others can think, well, that's over the top, isn't it? Mm. You know, maybe we come from one particular Christian tradition and we see a different Christian tradition, maybe on TV or something like that. And maybe people are dancing around and clapping. And in our tradition, we don't do that. And it's instinctive to think, well, that's a bit over the top, isn't it? Because it's not what we would do. And there's one guy among the 12 who definitely feels like that about what Mary has done. It says that Judas Iscariot, the disciple who would soon betray him, said, that perfume was worth a year's wages. Why did you notice that? That perfume was worth a year's wages. Put that into modern day money today. That was the value mm. of this perfume that she poured over his feet. And he gets angry and says it should have been sold and the money given to the poor. But John adds not that he cared for the poor. He was a thief. And since he was in charge of the disciples' money, he often stole some for himself. But Jesus said, leave her alone. She did this in preparation for my burial. You'll always have the poor among you, but you'll not always have me. That's not an excuse for not caring for the poor. It's an explanation that on this occasion, there would be many occasions to help the poor, but there was only one occasion to do this. And Jesus interprets this anointing as a prophetic anticipation of the anointing of his body because there wouldn't be time to do it properly after the crucifixion and his burial. And so this is an expression of incredible love and devotion. And just as we read the end of this story, it says, when all the people heard of Jesus's arrival at their home, they flocked to see him and listen to this, and also to see Lazarus, the man whom Jesus had raised from the dead. He's become a bit of a cult mm. figure now. Then the leading priests, listen to this, decided to kill Lazarus too. For it was because of him that many people had deserted them and believed in Jesus. So here's the craziness. Jesus brings this guy back from the dead. Mm. And the religious leaders say, we need to kill him because this is not helpful to our cause. Too many people are believing in Jesus because of this guy. So. 
Here is Mary with her incredible love for Jesus, her devotion, her passion, to the point of being willing to spend her years with the wages on this perfume that prophetically prepared his body for the death that was now so close. We're not quite sure when this happened in relation to how long since Lazarus was raised from the dead, are we? No, we're not quite sure of the gap. I think there's certainly a few days for the people to go and report to the Jewish leaders and for them to call a meeting of the Sanhedrin and the council, possibly a few weeks. So it's a few days or a few weeks between the two, but certainly near enough for people to have heard what has happened to Lazarus, but long enough for the story to have spread. So pretty soon afterwards. And inevitably, Mary, one of uh, the two sisters, would have been eternally grateful to Jesus for what he'd done. So there was a there was a deep sense of thankfulness, no doubt, as well on her part. Do you know what? I think that's a really, really good point, David, and the fact these stories are back-to-back in the gospel, I, I think perhaps heightens that. They, maybe it was like a love offering to God for the incredible gift that God had given back to them of their brother. But at the point where Jesus raises Lazarus from the dead, it's just him at the scene, not with his disciples, whereas here Judas is there and presumably other disciples are there as well. Yes, like we said, probably all of them, because John notes the fragrance filled the room. So the whole gang of them are there. So, um, you know, they're, they're pretty good at offering hospitality, these ladies, which takes us back to uh, that other story in Luke chapter 10, which again is a hospitality story. And I want to underline this because the New Testament has so much to say to Christians about the importance of hospitality. And hospitality does not have to be a five-course meal. A cup of tea and a biscuit, you know, is more than enough. But it is about opening up our homes to one another. And that was a hallmark of the early church, that they opened up their homes to one another. Uh, but in Luke 10, we have this other great story about uh, Mary and Martha, that as Jesus and the disciples continued on their way from Jerusalem, they, they came to a village where a woman named Martha welcomed him into a, her home. Now, the fact that it's Martha welcomed her into her home is what leads some scholars to think that Martha perhaps was older, maybe even widowed, and that Mary, the younger sister, and Lazarus, the brother, lived with her as well. Mm -hmm. And this is a well-known story for many people. It says her sister Mary sat at the Lord's feet listening to what he taught, but Martha was distracted by the big dinner she was preparing. So these two ladies have often been characterized by this story. There is spiritual Mary sitting there listening to Jesus, taking it all in, which, of course, was a big thing in those days because women were often excluded from learning generally and certainly from spiritual learning. But there she is learning, Jesus accepting her. While, yeah, Martha's the practical one. She's in the kitchen, uh, busy getting on with it. But I, I love this story because it says she came to Jesus and said, Lord, it doesn't seem, doesn't it seem unfair to you that my sister just sits here while I do all the work? Tell her to come and help me. And I often imagine that Martha's been there in the kitchen, you know, glancing out at Mary, sort of nodding and beckoning and trying to get her to come in and then maybe banging the pans heavily on the, the work surface to, 
to try and get her attention. And hint, hint. Hint, hint. And she won't come. And eventually she gets so fed up, she goes to Jesus. And again, Lord, don't you think it's unfair? And clearly she expected Jesus to side with her. Don't you think it's unfair that she's sitting and I'm doing all the work? And Jesus says, Martha, Martha, you're worried and upset over all these details. There's only one thing worth being concerned about. Mary's discovered it and it won't be taken from her. But as we've seen in our other story, perhaps we've sometimes misread that story and sort of pigeonholed Martha, practical one, Mary, spiritual one. But as we've seen, these were both deeply spiritual sisters. And remember, it was Martha who went out to Jesus first. It was Martha who said, I believe that God can give you even now whatever you want. It was Martha who said that she believed in the resurrection. So these are two deeply spiritual women, but they express that in different characters. One is perhaps a little more practical. One is perhaps a little more, I don't want to say spiritual, but she likes to sit there and and be more reflective. Maybe that's a a better word. One's practical, one's reflective. You do hear people sometimes say, you know, you're too spiritual and so spiritual that you're no earthly good. Yes. And uh, it's easy to dismiss Mary like that, and clearly Martha did on that day. But as we look at the whole tenor of Scripture and look right across it, what's clear is that we have a pair of sisters here in Martha and Mary, who were both deeply spiritual, but who expressed that spirituality in slightly different ways through their character. And that this trio, Martha, Mary, and Lazarus, were incredible friends to Jesus and played significant parts in the story. They were obviously hospitable. They obviously looked to Jesus. What do you learn from their lives in particular, Martha and Mary? I think what I would say is that it is possible to be deeply spiritual, and yet to retain the character and gifts that you have. Sometimes we can think that spirituality comes in a certain package. It must involve six days of prayer uh, every day, six hours of prayer every day. It must involve listening to Christian music all the time. It must involve going to every meeting that comes into town. And we can draw this picture of what spirituality is like. And yet I think what these two sisters show us is that it's possible to be deeply, deeply spiritual and yet be very different in character. Some of us more reflective, some of us more activist. But what this story tells me and these stories tell me is that, you know, whether we're more reflective or whether we're more activist, it is possible for us both to have a deep relationship with Jesus that finds expression in the way that we live and serve others. So these are great ladies and have got lots to teach us. David Tavener was in conversation with Mike Beaumont, who's written about the people of the Bible throughout the Christian Basics Bible. Catch their conversations anytime on the UCB player or with your favorite podcast provider. Just search for Bible Biogs in 30 minutes.